that's, been, uh, that's entitled a Reimagining Church. And, and part of the reason for the series, and I want to just say this in case you haven't been journeying with us, and some of you have and some of you haven't, we've been looking at the whole thing as what should church really be like? I mean, every single person over here has got a picture in their mind of what they think church should be like, right? Um, often, sadly, your picture of church revolves around Sunday morning, which is a sad thing, because church fundamentally is not just about Sunday mornings. The tragedy is we've made it about Sunday mornings. So that's perhaps the first thing that I need to say when we talk about church this is just a meeting. I mean, we hear maybe if I don't preach too long for an hour and a half, which is not an awfully long time, and we kind of get the feel of church being what happens here on Sunday, and I don't think that's a biblical model of church. I don't know about you. Um, so I think that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing that I want to say this morning is that one of the interesting stats that's come to my attention is that the biggest group, and this is a United States stats, so you need to take it from where it comes. The biggest group of Christians in the United States at the, minute, the moment, and it's growing quickly, is previously churched Christians. In other words, those who peop were people who used to belong to the church, who've got disillusioned with the church, and no longer want to be part of the church. And so when something like that happens, you've got to start asking your que yourself questions, what should church really be like? And I mean, if we had time this morning, I'd love you to share some of your views of what you think church should be like. Um, and, and, and especially if I asked you to tell me what you think church should be like outside of Sundays and outside of this hour and a half that we meet together. I thought it might be interesting, by the way, this isn't a planned part of my message, it's more the introduction, so, um, but, but just listen to this. This is, um, this is Pentecost has just happened, the Holy Spirit's just been poured out on the church, and the church starts to kind of get a little bit of shape as, as people start meeting together, and says, it starts off by saying they devoted themselves. Does everybody know what devoted means? Anybody unsure of the word devoted? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowshipping together, and what's the last one? Prayer. Great stuff, hey? I'm impressed. Okay, Brad's doing a good job. Now let's listen to this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs that were being performed by the apostles. There was a powerful work of God among people in the church. Now, if people had, had needs, they came for prayer and for ministry. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Now, what that means is having everything in common is they were, they were very... Um, open with their possessions and sharing what they had with one another. That's kind of what it, it's talking about. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. That's a very interesting concept of the generosity that existed among people in the early church. By the way, would you like to be part of a church like that? How many of you would? Come on, put up your hands. This is a have to. Either you in or out. Come on. I thought we were. 
Huh? You thought we were. Okay. So, so come on. If you want to, you've got to do this stuff. Because <laughs> you're the church. <laughs> Don't get the idea that somebody else is the church and you're going to join this church that's made up of others. We are the church. Isn't anybody else that's the church? Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. It's interesting, we struggle to get together once a week, but they were doing it every day. And uh, I think maybe their, their lifestyles were slightly different. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising uh, God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Quite a cool church. Okay? Would you agree with that? Okay, not much response yet, but I'm hoping you're going to warm up as we go along. But that's the, that's the nice part of the church. Now, I want to read to you about another part of the church. Also, church life, uh, as it was, not long after Pentecost, it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Who wants to be part of that kind of church? <laughs> you, it's not always good. It's sometimes tough being a believer. And I know for me as a preacher, I love to talk about the good things because I want people to be encouraged. But do you know that the church was growing in very adverse circumstances at that particular point in time? How about this part of the church? It's another part that I like. It says, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? See, I like it when God starts to deal with the arch enemies of the church as well. And you know, God's still doing that. God's still bringing people to faith. Even hard-nosed, hard-hearted people, very religious people like Saul. So that's just an introduction to reimagining church. So we want to try and investigate and explore a little bit of what church should be like. And so this morning, I want to, as you can see, I want to focus on the whole issue um, of eldership. So and I've only got enough time to touch on two aspects of eldership, uh, which I'm going to do. But let's start off by, by talking about how this whole thing of eldership came about right in the beginning. And the Bible tells us that what was happening in the book of Acts is uh, initially the church was focused just in a place called Jerusalem. Some of you may have had the opportunity to go to Jerusalem. It's a little different to what it used to be uh, in those days. But that's where things were cooking. That's where people were coming to faith. That's where the believers were meeting together. But what starts to happen is the gospel starts to spread outwards from Jerusalem. And, and new churches being planted in, in different towns, in different villages, and in different cities where people were becoming disciples of Jesus. And, and what had happened is, was the church in Antioch. Some of you might have heard of the church in Antioch. You read about it in Acts chapter 13. It says the church in Antioch set apart 
Saul, who was an apostle, Barnabas, who was a great pastor, set them apart, and they went out and they started to spread the good news of the kingdom. And they did that because the Holy Spirit said to the church in Antioch, I want you to set these guys apart, and I want you to release them to carry on the work that I've called them to do. So that's what starts to happen, and we read about that. And I want to read this because to me it's so important that the church is listening to the Holy Spirit. Can I say that again? The church needs to be listening to the Holy Spirit. Tom, you, you're leading the selection committee, the core committee. The church needs to listen to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. God still speaks to His church. And as a result of their obedience to the Spirit's leading, what begins to happen in almost every city, as you begin to read the story, it starts off with a place called Pisidian Antioch. Now, there were two Antiochs, the one that they'd come from and the one that they went to. And Pisidian Antioch's in Turkey today, modern-day Turkey. And they went there and people came to know faith. And then they went to a place called Iconium, which is also in Turkey. And another church was planted over there. And then they went to a place called Lystra. And then they went to a place called Derby. And in every village and city they went to, people turned to faith in Jesus. People became disciples of Jesus. And new churches were being planted because that's what they were doing. And then what happens is they decide to do a revisit. They go back to visit all of these churches. And when they returned to these places, they did two things. Number one, they encouraged and they strengthened the believers. The other one is this, and, and this is what we're going to focus on. They appointed elders in each church that they had planted. So there it is. We're going to read it quickly and uh, go on from there. They preached the good news in that city. That's the city of Derby that they're talking about. And they won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. And so Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom, that they, in whom they had put their trust. These were churches less than two years old where they were appointing elders. The point for me this morning is that the apostles recognize the need to appoint elders in every one of those churches. So today we want to go right back to some of the reasons that, that elders were appointed in these churches. We need to, as the local church, we need to see the value of having elders in the church. I, I think sometimes elders have People have lost uh, uh, the, the sense of why elders are appointed in the church. So there are two things that I'm really going to look at. Why were, what were the reasons that the apostles appointed elders? And the second is, what should the appropriate response of the church be to its elders if, if God appoints elders? Now, as I said early on, the appointing of elders continued to happen in each local church that was planted. 
You will notice later on Paul, uh, when he's writing to a young man by the name of Timothy, who is one of his disciples, he says to Timothy, these are the characteristics of the people you're going to appoint as elders. And he writes about that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So, so there are certain people that are going to be appointed as elders. When Paul writes to Titus, he says, Titus, when you go to Crete, there are churches that have been planted there. I want you to appoint elders in every one of those churches. And here's the reason. God wants people to grow in their faith. Let me say this to you this morning. This is God's church, not yours. And it's not mine. It's His church. That's, you'll remember I read early on in Revelation that Jesus holds the seven candlesticks. He walks among them. Those are his churches that he's walking around. And friends, we need as the church today go back to the fact the church belongs to Jesus. He died for it. You didn't. I did not die for the church. He died for it. He gave his life to it. Every one of you belong to Jesus because he gave his life for you. And so God wants His church and His people to grow in faith. God wants the work of Jesus to continue through His church. God wants people to be cared for. God wants people to be set apart for service. God wants His church to be protected from anybody that plans to harm it in any way. It's God's desire. And it's because God cares for His church in this way. He says, I want there to be elders appointed in the church. So I'm going to run through <clears throat> why elders were appointed in, in the church. And this, I've picked up, there's potentially are more, but I've picked up six main reasons that I think elders were appointed in every church. The first one is this is that the spiritual oversight of the local church is entrusted to the elders, not the apostles. Very interesting. That the spiritual oversight of the local church... Now, some of the apostles were elders. John was an apostle and an elder. Peter was an apostle and an elder. So they wore two hats in a sense. But every local church was under the oversight of elders, not apostles. And there's, there's a reason for that, is because people have got different functions in the church. The function of an apostle was somebody who was sent out to pioneer, to plant, and to establish local churches. Then they moved on. You will discover that as you read through the scripture all the time. They might have done a revisit there, but they never stay on. They, they, they are there to plant, pioneer, and to establish churches. Thereafter, elders are appointed to look after the church. Elders are the people that God entrusts with the care and the oversight of the local church. Now think about this. When elders were appointed, they would have been people that were known to the believers in the local church. These would have been people you've been fellowshipping with. These are people that you know about. These would be people who exhibit the fruit and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. These are people, and I want to use this carefully, who wanted to care for the church. They wanted to. They wanted to build up the church. Listen to, to what Paul says when he was writing to Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, 
A person who is an elder in the church is somebody who wants to care for and look after the church. You shouldn't, Tom, come and stand here for a second. Lend me your arm. This is not the idea that we have of an elder. <laughs> Twisting their arm. Please, won't you be an elder? Tom, share with us why you became an elder at Connect. You better use the mic there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have quite a long drive to work. But I go from Clovelly and I go to Century City. So it's about an hour and a quarter in the car every morning. And I, either, and I often tend to spend the time praying. And um, at that stage of my life, the, the ministry that I felt called to was intercessory prayer. So that was kind of what I was doing. And as I was going from the N2 drive, so I can tell you the exact point, onto the M5, um, God said, sort of said to me, by the way, I want you to be an elder. I'm calling you to eldership. I kind of was very surprised and um, sort of said, why, God? Um, didn't tell me at all why, why that was the case. But it was just sense, sense, a stirring in my heart, and then suddenly, like a desire, that God is now calling me into this position. Um, I then got a phone call from, from Howard Wiley, and I knew exactly what it was about. Um, he said, could I have a meeting with him? I thought, yeah, I think I have a feeling I know what this is about. And we had the meeting with, with Howard, um, and Howard said, would I consider being an elder? I had before then just said to Jackie, this is what I felt God was staring with, with, within my heart, and could she pray about it? And um, she really gave me confirmation as well. So without hesitation, I said to Howard, that would be fine, because I had prayed through it already. Um, what was strange is when you go through a process uh, where you go ahead in front of a selection committee, who kind of interrogate you, and um, ask you all sorts of questions to make sure that you're suitable. And they said, why are you being called to, an el to, to eldership? I thought, you know, the trouble with, you know, I find with God is he gives me, a need, gives me information on a needs-to-know basis. He hadn't told me at that point. So it was, it was quite difficult, other than to say that I really feel called to spiritual oversight. And I think I'm, I mumbled something about that. Obviously, it must have worked. Um, because my name was put forward and I was elected. The first elders' meeting that I attended, um, there was an item on the agenda which was women in eldership. And now God said, that's why you're here. That's why I'm calling you here. And that was the first thing. And then um, we moved to Clavelli from Meadowridge. We were 200 meters away from the church. And Jason called me and said, would I consider moving across to Musenberg? And then God said, that's why I called you. Wow. Um, that's why I've called you. So God has just slowly revealed um, what it is that he wants me to do. But it is spiritual oversight. When it came to the whole, um, select, you know, the call committee, um, it, just, it was like God just led, led me gently and clearly into that and said, that's why you're here. So bit by bit, God has revealed what it is, but it is around spiritual oversight, and it was a desire and a specific calling from God. Okay, that makes sense to you? See how it works from the other side. So, so we, we, when the church is, and when we are sensitive and alert to the Holy Spirit in our lives, God speaks to us, and God speaks to us, and I wanted Tom to share that a little bit with you, but I want us to go on, and we still got that Timothy, um, where's that Timothy? 
scripture there uh, no no the Timothy one go further down uh, no you've gone too far okay have I not got it there okay let me let me read it to you if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer he desires a noble ta- noble task now the overseer now he speaks about some of the qualifications must be above reproach so most people think that means the elder is as good as an angel. I, Tom, are you as good as an angel? Can we ask your wife? <laughs> so, so I think the point is there that when it speaks about an elder being above reproach, what it's saying over here is an elder is not somebody who's perfect, but somebody who chooses to honor God in every aspect of their life. He's a person who is, if I can use another phrase, without accusation. That makes sense to you? Because, because Paul goes on to say, uh, uh, they must be the husband of one wife. In other words, there's, in those days there was a whole lot of polygamy that was going around. So because God's model for marriage, one man and one woman, if somebody happened to get saved who had many wives, you didn't tell that person to divorce their wives when they became a believer. But they could never become an elder because an elder models God's ideal for marriage. So that's one of the, the qualifications. person needs to be temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Not given to drunkenness. Not violent but gentle. Not quarrel, quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. And if I could put in, in, in brackets this morning, that's simply spiritful living. That's normal spiritful living for all of us. So that's the first one. The second reason, if we can go down to that one, is that, that God wants His church to have good, godly, spiritual oversight. Now when Paul was uh, when he was heading towards Jerusalem and then on to Rome from there, he met, he met with the, the eldership from the church of Ephesus in a place called Miletus. He's on his journey, wants to meet with the elders. This is what he says to them. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. By the way, there's three English words that are used in the Bible for elder. Overseer pastor or shepherd and elder. Those are the three English words that you'll read when you read about a person who's called an elder. So uh, keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock of which the, by the way, Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and they'll not spare the flock even from your own number. Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard for these things. And so Paul is saying over here that that there are elders raised up in the church because of the schemes and plans of the enemy. Because people come into the church with their own agendas. You've seen that happening all over. You've heard about that happening in churches. And what they want is they want to gain a following for for themselves. It's all about them. And so God entrusts people with the responsibility of watching over or overseeing the church. Listen to this. Paul wrote to to the Corinthian church. He says, such men are false apostles, 
deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And so God's appointing elders in the church to, so the church can be protected from people like this. When you've got good elders in the church, it ensures that the church becomes the kind of church God wants it to be. Where people can worship and serve Him. Where people can love one another, grow in their faith, be equipped, sent out to serve. And, and most of all, they can be protected when people like this come along. Third reason is that God wants His people... Can we go to the next slide? God wants His people to be pastored and cared for. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. If you go to the next one, 1 Peter chapter 5. Be shepherds, verse 2 of God's flock, who's under your care, serving as overseers. Now, the picture of the shepherd that we've got here that's being spoken about is the Old Testament picture, not the modern day shepherd that we've got. Here's the picture that, that of the shepherd that David writes about in Psalm 23. You all know Psalm 23. David himself was a shepherd, and so he, he has this picture of God being a shepherd, but it's also the model of shepherding that we have uh, for the church today. He let, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. This is a beautiful picture of a shepherd. Who leads the sheep to green pasture. Do you notice what the sheep do in green pasture? What do you think sheep do in a green pasture? Does the shepherd feed them or do they eat for themselves? Aha. Did you notice that he, he leads the, the sheep into green pasture so they can eat themselves? It's not the shepherd comes and rams food down their throats, but they go and they feed because they're green pastures. He protects them from the predators. You remember David said, the Lord helped me against the lion and the bear when they came against uh, the predators. You remember the shepherd's got a crook. You all see it's that funny thing with a hook on it. Do you know what he used it for? Because sometimes sheep would go astray and they would get stuck in maybe a thorn bush or they would get into a precarious situation and he couldn't get to them. He'd go and he'd just hook them out of it. That's the picture that we've got of an elder in the church. Somebody who's shepherding, leading people to a green pasture, watching out for predators, who's got the shepherd's crook, and he sees there's a sheep going down there. Now, guys, when one of the elders phones you up and said, like, I'm a little bit concerned, don't think that, you, you know, don't say, ah, I don't want you to talk to me. It's because people really care. And they don't want us going off track. Fourthly, God does want His church to have organization and good governance. It speaks about 1 Timothy 5, the elders who direct the affairs of the church. Now, the picture that you've got of an elder in the New Testament actually comes from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were elders who sat at the gate of every city. And the role of the people who sat at the gate of the city was to oversee and organize what was happening in the city. They would watch who was coming and going in the city. People would come if they wanted to make promises or, or, or make serious decisions. They would come to the, the elders who sat at the city gate. And so the elders have got the responsibility of, of organizing and overseeing different ministries. 
For example, ministry leaders need to be appointed. That's one of the roles of the elders. Doctrinal issues need to be dealt with. It's one of the roles of the elders. Proper planning needs to take place. It's one of the roles of the elders. Decisions need to be made. I'm not talking about just minor decisions for the whole body. God's leading for the church needs to be discerned. These are all of the things that, that elders are doing. Then the next one has got to do with sound doctrine. Paul writes to Timothy, he said, he must hold, speaking about elders, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. You see, Paul, when he appointed these elders, or not appointed, when he met with these elders in Miletus, he wanted them to recognize the danger of false teaching. He wanted to them to recognize the damage that false apostles can do in the church. The problem that false prophets can create in the church. And do you know that there are even doctrines that are demonic in origin? And so Paul, out of his concern for what he, he could see was going to happen to the church, he said, guys, you need to watch over that, the fact that there's sound doctrine. Now, I, I want to say this this morning. We are living in times far worse than those days. Because every one of you is getting bombarded with what every person would like to say, whether they're biblical or not. There's a lot of stuff over there that makes the few hairs on my head curl when I listen to it. And elders are given because when there's sound doctrine, the church grows well. It does well. It functions well. But when there's a whole lot of rubbish that starts coming into the church, it does damage to the local church. And so the Holy Spirit sees that there are elders who are being appointed in the church to make sure there is sound teaching. Here's a brilliant thing. Do you know that prophetic ministry can take place in this church because we as elders are concerned about what's said here? You see, what's happened to a lot of churches, they've had to ban a whole lot of stuff. They don't do a whole lot of stuff because of the damage that's happened. But that's not the model. The model is have elders who watch over that, protect the people who are weighing up what's being said so that ministry can keep taking place. That makes sense to you. And that's the kind of church we want to have where people are able to practice their spiritual gifts because the elders are watching over as shepherds who are watching over and overseeing what's happening in the life of the church. That's why we encourage people to bring words. That's why Tom said this morning, if you've got a word, come and share it with us. And it wasn't just so we can fit it in. We also want to weigh up what's going to be said. And there are times when people have said things and, and, and we've had to say, well, we're not so sure that that's... That, that should be brought right now. We're not sure that's appropriate. Maybe we have to go to somebody afterwards and say, let's just chat through what you were going to say. And, and we kind of redirect. That's, that's the way that it works. I think to me, one of the most, and I, and I want to put it out here this morning, one of the most wonderful things that happened in my Christian journey was the charismatic movement. I mean, I just saw people coming alive for God I saw people start to use their spiritual gifts. I started to be, people started to become alert to the voice of God. But you know what crept in at the same time? Man's ego. People who wanted to get popular. People started to say God was saying things God never in his wildest dreams would have wanted to say. 
And a whole lot of damage came about. And I know what happened in the church in which I was worshipping. They like, you didn't go down that road. You didn't talk about those things. You didn't do those things because it was such a bad reputation from what people started to do. I want to say, being charismatic is biblical. It's not a weird thing. The move of the Holy Spirit, having spiritual gifts, isn't weird. It's biblical. It only gets weird when people start messing it up. And so we have elders in the church who who watch over those things. Then the next one. Now I think this is the last, the sixth one. Go to the next one. Staying focused on the teachings of Jesus. Now, the reason I want to talk about this for a minute is that when Jesus... Uh, was, was moving around and doing ministry. He, tr- he chose 12 men. We call them the apostles. We, some of us call them the disciples. But he trained and taught these men so that they could continue the work he was doing when he ascended to be with his father. Right? You understand that? What was their role? Their role was to go into each local church and teach each local church what Jesus had taught them. And then what did they do? They then entrusted that to elders to ensure the local church carried on doing what Jesus was doing. Do you see that we are here not to do our own thing, invent our own ideas. We are here to do the works of Jesus. That makes sense? And so we have elders who are saying, but let's go back to what Jesus said. Let's go back to what the Bible says because we want to keep doing that stuff. And I've used this illustration before and people still laugh at it, but it makes the point. When John Wimber got saved, he got saved from drug abuse, he got saved from hectic stuff, and he joined a local church. After six months, he went to the leaders, and he said, so when are we going to start doing this stuff? They said, what stuff? He said, the stuff that Jesus was talking about in the Bible, he said, we don't do that anymore. And he said to them, do you mean that I gave up drugs and all of that stuff to come into the church where we don't do this stuff anymore? Do you get the point? We are here to carry on the works of Jesus. That's what the local church is all about. Okay, so those are some of the reasons why elders were appointed. You'll notice they're all good reasons, all excellent reasons. But let's go on and look at what is an appropriate response. How should you and I respond to the fact that God has appointed? The Bible says the Holy Spirit appointed. Okay, don't get the idea this was a man-made thing. It says the Holy Spirit said So people were being elders because of what the Holy Spirit was doing. But what's an appropriate response? And I think it is important if we're going to have elders, how should we then respond to it? And there's three very simple things. Let's go to the first one. Honor and respect. Let me say this to you. A good church where the Holy Spirit is at work is a church where there's a culture of honor and respect. And it's not just towards the elders, it's towards one another as well. I think it's in Ephesians 5.21, I don't have the scripture up, but it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But here it is, the elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor. Now that that double honor was in two ways. Number one is is that some elders were doing this full-time, not all of them, But as the church grew, some people had to divert all their time and energy. And so they were paid for that. I'm a paid elder at the church. And it says they were worthy of double honor, which meant you got a double salary. Okay? You're all looking really worried now. (laughs) 
But in other words, they, they recognized the role and responsibility of people. And so it was through reimbursement. But secondly, it was the way they were treated. And that people respected and honored them because of the responsibility they carry. Here's the scary thing I want to say to you in being an elder in the church. One day I have to stand before the Lord and answer for how I've looked after you. You have to answer for yourself. Tom and myself and Brad and others, we have to stand before the Lord and we have to say, God, we're accountable for what He entrusted to us in the role and responsibility He's given to us. And so when we talk about this, is, this is not trying to twist people's arm. By the way, let me just say to you, the only model I have for leadership in the church is servant leadership. Not authoritarian leadership, not dictator, like Jesus, the one who served. That's the first one. Let's go to the second one. Submission. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Do you know that submission is part and parcel of spirit-filled living? And I believe one of the things we're doing, even if you disagree with somebody, it's an attitude of submission. You've heard the story about the little boy. I'm sure you've all heard the story of where his dad was angry with him and his son refused to listen to him. And he said to him, now you go and sit in the corner on the chair and you keep quiet until you can learn to behave. And he looked at his dad and he said, dad, on the outside I'm sitting down, but on the inside I'm still standing up. You know, I think that's the true with many of us as Christians. We do it on the outside, but there's a rebellious spirit on the inside. And I want to say to you, rebellious spirit does damage. And, and if there's a rebellious spirit in you, deal with it, repent of it, bring it before the Lord. But we don't want to carry stuff in our hearts that's going to be like a cancer. And I want to say rebellion is like a cancer in the church. All it does is divide. All it does is break down. All it does is destroy. And here's the ultimate test. Ask yourself how you speak about somebody behind their back. There's your test. What do you say about people when they can't hear you? Because if your heart is good, you will speak well of them. But if there's stuff that you're carrying which is not good, you will speak evil of them. And I don't think there's a place for that, personally. The third one. And that's the last one, and that's to imitate them. Right. In other words, allow the example of their faith to spur you on, to encourage you, to be a blessing to you. I think one of the most wonderful things that we can have in the church is people who are great examples, is people who model the faith, people who show you how to live it. Because we, we need working models. It's one thing to read a scripture. It's another thing to see it put into practice. And so one of the things we're encouraged to do is to consider their way of life and the outcome of their faith. So that's kind of the end of the sermon. Because that's all I have time for this morning. But, but, but I think the, the important thing for me is this in closing is that elders in the church not to have an us and them scenario. This is not about the elders do the work and we all sit back and we're all passengers. I think in a church where you've got good elders, you've got good participation and involvement. 
Surely that makes sense to you after all the reasons we've spoken about elders being involved, that when they're good elders, they're good participants. The church isn't about an us and them. The church is about us. We're all the elders. We're all in this together. Elders have a specific responsibility and role. But we're all in this together. And I just want to say to you again, and I just want to appeal to you again, we cannot have the church where there's some people doing all the work and everybody else is sitting back for the ride. The church is the church because of what we are doing together. And you know, some while ago, and some of you may not have been here when I said that, but one of the burdens in, on my heart is to give the church back to the people. The church is us. The church isn't about a pastor or an elder or an eldership or very active people. The church is about all of us. All of us here this morning. When Jesus said that when I ascend to my Father and the Holy Spirit comes, you will do greater things even than I have done. He wasn't talking about Jesus is only able to do this, but we're going to be able to do this. What he was saying is what I've done is going to be multiplied because there's so many people with the Holy Spirit who are carrying on the work of Jesus. Isn't that exciting? God, Jesus envisaged people like you and me trusting the Lord, walking by faith, believing in God, praying for God's work to continue, and then seeing what happens out of that because all of us are involved in the process. Friends, that's church. I want to be part of a church like that. But when that's not happening, church becomes a really boring place. It's when you need to have an alarm with a wake-up three times over on a Sunday morning because... It's a place like, I know I need to go, but Lord, spare me if possible. And I really mean that. I think church is a place you should be amped to be at. When there's something happening in the church, I'm not just talking about Sundays, you should say, I'm in. Because it's God's work and God's church and He died for you, guys. This is not about attending meetings. This is about following the living Jesus who's King of kings and Lord of lords. I mean, that's good stuff. See, somebody can say amen this morning. Whew, I thought I'd never get that right. So stand up. Let me pray as we finish.